Welcome to the Build the Future podcast. My name is Cameron Weesey, and I'm your host. I've always been fascinated by the ideas and sentiment that drove American culture in the 1960s with the space race. A culture galvanized to dream about the possibilities of tomorrow. Whether it's food, transportation, cities, biology, or anything else, it was this cultural mindset rooted in optimism that the world tomorrow would be better than the world today. A mindset where people were compelled to build things, and I quote JFK, not because they were easy, but because they were hard. It's this desire to build and to dream that seems to have been lost, and something we're here to bring back. With Build the Future, we're here to promote the ideas and stories of those who see how the future can be better, and promote their plans to get us there. It's our mission to get you to dream about the possibilities of tomorrow dream about the future that you want to live in and inspire you to go build. Today, we're talking with Roman Tesoya, the founder and CEO of Earth AI. At Earth AI, they're developing a vertically integrated metals exploration company. In doing so, they're accelerating both sustainable development and planetary exploration. Let's jump right in. Most exciting problem I can I can work on is how do we shift the culture so that people have conversations and care about the future because at large people are kind of indifferent they want the world to be better but there's no there's no movement in that direction yeah no it's true because uh yeah like we kind of got into this consumer growth sort of wealth mindset that's like the that's the main thing the main point of the of the of existence and it's not you know it's so they're selling this to us because it's good for business. But what if we just start selling a different thing, which is like, let's do some cool projects. Uh, I'm like, I was thinking lately is like about the, the public markets right now. And it's like, it's not really that much anymore about the kind of asset performance and how much profit it brings. It's more about the story and like the future. And, you know, even Tesla raising 30X, you know, it's, it's just because they're cool, you know, mostly if the performance of the like you know and there are companies that are like like a mining company i know i don't want to tell but like it's like their market cap is like 30 ish billion dollars and they're, they're not posting profits for years but they're worth their value at 30 billion like what is value of a company like just producing revenue and you know doing some work but then obviously they're not actually making any money themselves so so but they're valuable you know so like what is what is value? If doing something important with a purpose has a value in itself and it's not making profits, well, then it should be done and, you know, and people can support it and it could be funded well. It doesn't need to look for profit. You know, maybe like a, a company or a business doesn't need to look for profits if it's doing something really valuable and it could be just successful like that. Oh, that's an, that's an interesting way to think about it. It's like, People are like, no, 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 we we want this to exist. We want to support this company. We want to support this mission. We don't care if it generates revenue or not. But that that runs counter to the fundamentals of corporate finance that a lot of people on Wall Street or in industry are making their forecasts and they're building their models off of. But I think everyone's sick and tired of of the world being so static, of things not changing, of of things not getting visibly better. Right. I mean, you can argue kind of socially and economically and medically things things have improved but we don't a lot of people don't see that in their in their day-to-day i think there's this frustration with the system and 
if they can put their money in a company that's, that's giving them hope for a better future and helping contribute to that, that cause people are doing it. Yeah. I guess, you know, that is the thing, you know, because we come back to textbook, like business must make money. Obviously in the past, there was a lot of speculation on the stock market where people were genuinely like making money off giving promises and not fulfilled. But like if a company, you know, like even going back to Tesla, Tesla had like a huge vision and they also delivered on it. And that's why they became so valuable because they, because they have a huge vision and they deliver on it. And then it's probably like such an outlier. That's why they are like 10 times more valuable than, than the best next, next best car company, because the next best car company either doesn't have a huge vision or doesn't deliver, or they have like a very little, not very little, but like much smaller, much more ambition and much more execution kind of that backs it up. So, so like, should the companies be valued by the amount of their ambition and the quality of their execution to exit, to kind of deliver that? Not, not necessarily, you know, on the balance sheet performance. Yeah, I, I think the other thing, other dynamic at play here is the definition of value has changed, at least in, in the mind of the like consumers. Why do people buy Bitcoin? Why do people buy NFTs? And I know that's like, it's super hype right now, but it's, it's just fascinating watching people like, put their money into these because they like, they just believe in it. Like, you know what? I don't, I don't know if this is ever going to make me money, but I want to support this ecosystem. So I'm going to spend $70 million on a digital piece of artwork. And they have the capital to do it because, you know, they believed in Ethereum or Bitcoin, you know, five, six years ago. And now they're sitting on like loads of cash and they're like, cool, I want to make the world better. I want to do something different. When there was a lot of speculation, then then market just having that sort of public market was the solution to determine the right price and have people in control. And it was kind of like it's a market, so it's fair. But you know, like obviously that back then, you know, the market, like every all the shares and 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 products on the market had the backing kind of asset that backs it up, a physical one that you know you have to you can own, you can sell, you can like it produces dividends or produces some profits, but Bitcoin is like, hey, why do we need this asset? You know, like the the ability the ability to trade is an asset in, in itself. Like we don't need to waste all the money on like handling that asset shipping. Like, like even with normal stuff, like no traders are like getting close to like where their gold should be delivered because they bought so many. <laughs> Just the futures, right? So. So it's, uh, and I guess, you know, Bitcoin, you can't really print it. So like, it's, it's a good sort of standard of, of value now when all the other currencies are getting devalued. Well, yeah, exactly. Like how do you define the value, like the, the market value, do you need even the asset, you know, uh, or like, is it the asset or is it just purely how much people want? Yeah. I think there's, there's also this kind of other element at play here, uh, which is kind of this like tribal signaling. You want to you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself. We all want to be a part of big, something bigger than ourselves. And if you can say you believe and support Tesla, you're part of a community of hundreds of thousands of other people who are also like, hey, we want a world with electric cars, and we're supporting Tesla, and we will pay for it because we believe in it. Same with yeah, the Bitcoin ecosystem or the really really anything. It's like we we want to tie our identities to something, and we now can find other people who who share those identities using things like Twitter and Facebook and 
and all that. So like everyone who has these, like, these weird interests can now connect. Whereas before you were just like that weird, I was that weird kid and you know, the out in the country who was like obsessed with computers. And I'm like, this is weird. I'm the only one. But now that's like not a, not a thing because you can go online and find everybody. Yeah. You know, like you, you obviously have the people that are physically building the cars at Tesla, but, but they need the support of like, like to get something really kind of change the world. You need the support of millions, hundreds of millions or billions of people. Um, and that's, and that's part of that, you know, like if it's a, if it's a large enough movement then it's, it's, it's like, it's likely to succeed because of all the support and looking back at the individual, you don't necessarily need to go and start a company and go through all the hurdles to, because uh, it's really hard and you might not be able to do this and you just, you shouldn't be like, okay, that's if I, if I, you know, if I'm too busy or I have a different plan for my life so I can't do anything so I shouldn't you can contribute in any little way they can and that's how the people find their purpose in the way of like okay I'm gonna like invest in Tesla or support Tesla or support Bitcoin or support something else that's changing the world and in any like small or big way and it's really relative you know um, they can so in any way they can and that's kind of cool and and they are not less you know like if you like relatively take their position versus, you know, anybody else in the world, no matter how rich or poor, they're doing their part just as well as anybody else. It's cool because anybody can get like, regardless of, of resources or knowledge, like you can get involved, whether that's starting the company or liking tweets and, and sharing stuff online. Everybody can help be involved in building like the future they want to live in, which is sweet. Yeah, I think it is important that people are active, you know, I think it's the, the important bit here is like being active in making choices and making decisions and doing something. It's much better than being passive and kind of watching the kind of how the events fall around you. And uh, yeah, people want some future and they should be more, they should be active and, and just, yeah, it doesn't matter if they are wrong sometimes, but um, it's better to do something and you make a mistake than to do nothing. <laughs> Absolutely. That's why I'm so optimistic for 2030, because I think 2020 with COVID was the year where most people woke up to the realization that the people who were supposed to be making sure things were operating well uh, were asleep at the wheel. Media is decaying. Our academic institutions are decaying. Our governments are decaying. And we're like, wait a minute, why are these people, like, who are these people that are supposedly responsible for our well-being and our safety and like our, the things we're consuming content-wise? Like, wait a minute, how did they get there? They're not doing the right job. They're not doing their job. So, all right, well, I guess I have to do something. And then people are starting companies, they're starting podcasts, they're starting businesses, they're starting to get involved in politics, they're going to Twitter and they're voicing their support for people and for organizations and for things that are are kind of fighting the, the status quo and play this out five, 10 years from now, everyone who's going to be in positions of leadership is going to be shaped by what we're going through or what we've, what we've been going through. And that's super exciting to me. I don't know if, if you feel the same way. Yeah. I mean, 2020 was like a big standstill. And in my opinion, it's kind of like really pushing the boundaries of our society 
in terms of like an economics, in terms of how we can do things. And firstly, firstly, I think things were very logical, you know, the lockdown and the, you know, the kind of share market crash and you know, everything went like just the way it should be. Like if, if we are not producing product, you know, if we're not working this, but then things became really kind of huge trust into the future of the economy and just huge growth that's kind of mostly on paper. Uh, because the markets grew while the, the economics shrank 10%. That's kind of surprising to me because we're going more and more kind of into the software world and sort of like our economy is more about our imagination, not about the, the reality. Because like a lot of the real problems of the world hasn't kind of moved forward that much in that time. But we were way more entertained watching more Netflix and this. And so we thought the life is, you know, the world is... It's growing. So that is that sort of disconnect is what kind of is kind of interesting to me. Because is that just the, the new way where we we don't care about the real state of things? Why do you need to like this? There are beautiful games, Cameron. Um, <laughs> moon exploration and Mars and like galaxy fighting and you know, should we just play games and don't worry about building rockets because it's so much harder. Uh, uh, or, or you know, we should get back into the reality of things and like, hey, these are games. It's not actually real. What we should do is to is to go and grab and explore. And uh, what, what was saying that you know there was this Mars rover that just landed, which was amazing. Video photos they make, it's really really cool. So like, huge kudos to NASA to actually making that delivery done. You know, through COVID, that's really really cool. But you know, it's obviously it's it's tremendously much harder now for the hardware businesses to to operate. COVID, you know, change disruptions and things. And I feel like there's a like a huge amount of sectors of the economy that are just not happening, like travel, tourism, uh, and travel is really important. I think you know between the, across the world, like to share the ideas as you were talking about your you know conference and things. It's just really important. For us, I'm not sure. I don't know if you can be just like virtual all the time. I think if we are like biological creatures. We do need that sort of um, in-person, in-person communication. Um, so just the economy refocused into something more virtual and less, like more more imaginative. I would say and less real. Um, whereas I think. I don't know how far we can go with kind of not tackling the real problems. And the real problems are really exciting and we have to do them. <laughs> Tell me about the, the real problems that, that you're solving. What's the feature you're building at, at Earth AI? Yeah, so the biggest fundamental problem we are solving at Earth AI is the sustainable energy production. And because, you know, right now the world is powered by hydrocarbons and it's, you know, since 18th century, it's just that's what took, took over the world. And we know it's polluting the environment. We know it's not sustainable. We know these are literally fossil fuels that have been deposited, you know, a few hundred million years ago, 10 to 100 million years ago. They will run out. Everything's been conserved there. We take it out, put it in the atmosphere. Like it's it's it is it is not 
not helping like it's not the sustainable way to do to 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 move ahead and it's running out but it is expensive and and also it's really not exactly feasible right now to move the whole world to sustainable energy like to solar panels and wind and and uh, you know others other things um and obviously storage and batteries why because to build this hardware for sustainable energy you need a lot of very unique metals that are not very usable very sort of like not usable not very commonly found and the current rate of the world production is not cannot sustain that sort of massive growth it doesn't really have enough we don't really have enough deposits of these metals to build all the hydro we need to complete the transition and moving further ahead on that problem these metal deposits are also not sustainable and there's also a finite amount of them the only good thing of the difference is that they're not getting used so like we take the metals we put it in a product we make something from them that we can recycle it and do something else out of it but they're never getting used we just use them to build things but we don't like actually use use them use them up Whereas, you know, hydrocarbons, we use them up and we, you know, throw away the CO2 and that's it. The chemical, the chemical energy that was in that hydrocarbon is get used, released, and then we have just the waste to deal with. And the waste that hydrocarbons produce is kind of like disappearing somewhere in the air. But, you know, eventually we're going to spend, like, spend a lot of money. Like we're already spending a lot of money like from deteriorating you know, climate and like the air quality and the pollution and like, the further we go, all of those things we burn, or like the 20th century people burned, it's going to be all, it's going to be all, we're going to have all, to pay all of that in, in the 21st century, for sure. You know, it's going to, it's just a delayed, delayed remediation cost. So we're, we're at this point where we have, we're using up like all the, all the fossil fuels. So that's, and we're going to have to deal with that because chemically we're altering that and we're going to have to reclaim carbon from the atmosphere or do something. But then we're also going to have to figure out a new, like something sustainable because moving it over into batteries or recyclables is also a challenge. How are you thinking about solving this? Uh, and what are you guys doing at Earth AI? So adding to that, like there's one more thing I didn't tell you about was metals. We also kind of found what we could found easily. <laughs> so we picked all the easiest, you know, like lowest hanging fruit already because it was just sticking out on the surface you could see greens of copper you could see you know find gold in the streams and you know like that's all the prospectors before and like exploration companies and mining companies did that systematically but like now everything obviously has been already found and we need to really find deposits either that are underground that are completely blind completely you can't see them or there is some sort of like a little sign, like a small sign in the data that they're there, but they're not visually strikingly obvious. So the rate of actual rate of discovery has been declining crazy over the last two decades. And it's like the success rate the industry knows is about half a percent. That's right. You know, so the one in 200 projects becomes successful. And the world is spending more than $10 billion every year to look for new deposits. And on average, it finds around 60 and only like six of them are, are big and, and you know, the rest are like small. 
So overall about 150 million per deposit discovery. And um, what we are doing is we started in 2016, sort of building a technology that will um, better, but more accurately predict the location of the mineral site. And the, the kind of the main concept was um, there is a ton of archive data from previous exploration. You know, since the 80s, it's more or less digital, literally millions and millions, hundreds of millions of samples that people have taken. Whether it's successfully or not, it's public data now. There is, you know, remote sensing data that covers the whole world. There is, um, you know, geophysical maps of gravity, magnetic and radiometric fields. There is, you know, geological data. Like there's a lot of public data archive in archives that has been, you know, carefully documented and stored. And the way it's used right now is only locally when, you know, I have an expression license for some block of land, I would look in the archive what, what has been done on that block of land before. And, and so learn from it. And we thought there is a far more powerful way to use your archive data is to build an AI system that trains on the bulk of it. So all the exploration done, you know, over the decades, let's train on all of that knowledge um, and then use that to predict new deposits. Yeah, so so that worked well. We ran like 80 industry trials. We had some success selling it. Um, we run our own field testing. We've proven 26% success rate just out of our prediction in completely unexplored land. We can find, you know, copper uh, just from predicting from satellite data. And that's 50 times better than the industry status quo. And it's a big game changer. However, we realized that was in 2018 after we had the success that it doesn't take, it doesn't build the whole bridge across the river. You know, like this is a great start, predict where they are. However, like to find deposits, what we need to solve the problem is to find more deposits of these metals that we could dig. And we have to supply more metals for the sustainable hardware, you know, sustainable energy hardware. So we need to find the deposits, you know, we find a better like targeting method, but we don't actually find the deposits because to, to find them, you have to prove that they're there. And it's, it's quite a lot of work because they're like in the middle of nowhere, in the desert, you have to send people there. They have to take samples. They have to study the geology, geological structure of the area. They have to predict where the ore body should be. It's much harder than the oil and gas. Uh, expression for metals because oil and gas they usually horizontal-ish seem like you know layers of rock with hydrocarbons with the metal deposits they like weird shape not necessarily under pretty small they are like in the order of like a thousand feet per thousand feet that like a cube thousand feet cube that's like how big it is and they're like at the depths of like down to one and a half thousand feet. So like it's like you gotta like you gotta poke them somewhere from the surface and try to hit them, and they could be whatever shape, and um, not directly under what you see on the surface. So it's much harder problem than uh, than oil and gas. So we then thought about that 
problem. And we realized that the way to kind of guarantee success is for us to build a exploration funnel. So, okay, a portfolio of projects that start from the early stage and then they get progressively matured and kind of as we get more information and run that portfolio to, to guarantee our success at finding deposit. On the technology side, what we need to do after that, after we predict the site, is to be able to safely send people out there to collect samples and, and map the geology, be able to survey the area in an efficient way, and be able to drill. So drilling is like a three-dimensional, it's it's different from metals and oil and gas. It's like a really small drill rig and a small drill hole. And the purpose is to um, get a three-dimensional sample of, of the ore. And that's down to like a thousand feet or 2000 feet depths. You just go and drill it. So we, for us, obviously for that, thinking about that big funnel that, that has a lot of projects at the, at the top and a lot at the bottom, we want to minimize the waste because we, we, we are going to like not just minimize, eliminate the waste. We, because uh, we will, we're, we're starting with a lot of projects. We're going to, we are testing. And then like we trim a third of it pretty much every stage. And it's like five stages. And we want to make sure that, you know, if we test it, if there's nothing there, we, we move on. And the, the site that we went through, it doesn't have, it just, we leave it the same way we, we found it. So moving on, our predictions obviously cause no harm. Our uh, remote exploration is like a mobile camp for two people that they can sustain, uh, kind of they can live for three weeks without resupplies. It's like a off-road car and a and a big trailer, and they have uh, like enough water and fuel and supplies, and shower and aircon in the tent to live comfortably and explore for three weeks. It's a, it's the best job ever, by the way. It's just so, you know, you get your food covered, you get to camp in the most beautiful remote places comfortably. And every day you go for a hunt and you might find some, some treasures. Uh, the stage after that is a surveying. Again, we took a, we took an off-road car, kind of blocked off the back and bought a drone with a magnetic sensor. And so we have, like, we can fly our own magnetic surveys. The fun thing about it is to run it constantly, you need six sets of six batteries. <laughs> and you, you charge them constantly and the flight time is 20 minutes. But that's enough because you're, you know, the charge time is is like one and a half hour or something. So like by the time you you you, 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 you depleted your six sets, the first set is ready back to charge. But it's in the desert and it's really hot. We run the air con, we have like the car is blocked off shielded with insulation and there's a big aircon sticking out the back. So it's cooling this cool room for charging. And I guess you know, I had to train our pilots and get the pilot license for the, like get the drone license for the company, but it's been, uh, it's been fun. And it's not, it's not that hard. People, you know, think it's like really hard to set up a drone operation. It's not, it's not that hard. It's quite fun. And then the drilling has been a very major project and drilling, we didn't realize how big it is. It's not just about buying a drill rig and or building a drill rig as we started from building a drill rig. Um, it's it's uh, it has you know the logistics part of it. It has the 
uh, accommodation part of it it has the kind of operating maintenance things and the current status quo for metals drilling is pretty old like you know maybe like technologies from like 40 years ago it, uh, you know you have to get a bulldozer to dig your pits make big kind of pools for mud you bring you know everything on big trucks you have to make tracks and and sort of it does cause this sort of scarring of the land and you know removing vegetation so we wanted to remove that and also be much more efficient and i guess across whole stages of our funnel we want to be quick be accurate and also limit the cost like the cost is really important you know our exploration is twice uh, maybe yeah twice cheaper our, our our surveying is about five times cheaper our drilling is is designed and actually it, it does fulfill it it's it's 50 cheaper than industry coal and it's big because drilling on one you know one one drill rig operation is about five million and we do it for two and a half million so it's massive savings yeah so what we did in our drilling research like the hardware innovation is uh we, so we remove the need for the mud pools and we build a closed loop mud system for an affordable amount obviously there are mud systems for oil and gas rigs but they cost hundreds of millions of dollars and they're huge you still need this massive tracks and bulldoze everything the mud the purpose of mud is to cool the drill bit to move the cuttings back so there is a core that comes out from the inside but there is a cuttings where the bit is that brings them back and um, lubricate because it's spinning and we were thinking about should we do something like laser but spinning and breaking turns out to be the most efficient process to make the core to make the hole so <laughs> it's very efficient apparently just getting the chips is really you don't have to you know burn every atom cell by cell you just break off chunks. so the 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 closed loop system we have is just takes the mud and it filters it and it gets it back into production so we don't lose anything and also closed off so there's no evaporation and it's also much cheaper like it's it's like under under 100 something k so it's it's very significantly cheaper than uh than you know buying something off the shelf for i guess and just and dealing with it like within our thing is very mobile. It's like on a 20-foot container. Uh, so all the equipment we built, we built the whole kind of drilling hardware setup. And all of it is either in container bases or on trailers. Super hyper mobile. The big cost, big problems with the drilling campaigns is that they are campaigns. You have to, when you get a contractor, you have to give them like a work program because they mobilize for weeks. And then they start drilling and they need demobilized for weeks. And then if they broke it down, you kind of have to be there because you don't know what the fall is. And then, and also we minimize the water trips, the water usage, because we really kind of, we use far less water, you know, because of, the, because it's, it's kind of, it's closed loop and it's insulated. That's kind of the main one. And all of our equipment, it doesn't require special tracks. Or bulldozers completely in the, the need for bulldozers so any ground any like ground disturbance so after we leave the drill site there is really even the hole the little small hole we make like palm size like half palm size depends how big a person you are the hole is the size of a 
of a Pringles diameter, the it, we we fill it up like we fill it up, and that's it. You know, so like it's and all the ground we remove, so there's no digging. You know, it's it's pretty impressive. I think you know, there's no track making, there's no digging. It's all like really light tracks and. We, we kind of remediate them and we don't do much of the clearing for vegetation as well. So we're really kind of like exploring with the nature. So you guys come in, you do the research, you do the scouting, you do the drilling to kind of test and that's to see if the, the ore and the minerals are there. And then the next piece is if you find something, then you kind of come back and kind of dig up the site. So, so the idea is we are finding deposits. Uh, we find the deposits and we are assessing the economic potential, and then we with the company that will produce it. It is our plan in the future to to produce ourselves, um, but again, we will need some serious research put into that. There is a lot of ideas on kind of how we can change the way mining is done, and the main one is obviously removing the open pits because they they just have big holes in the ground that don't get filled up and mining more on the ground. And there's like ideas about chemical or biochemical mining, like a minimally invasive surgery concept. Like when you have tools that come down, they do the work and then they come out and you see nothing from a surface. And that is, that is the importance. I think like an important problem to solve next. Uh, for us, it will probably be a few years until we get to to work on it. But it is it's really important because, like, we also need to think what we want to protect, you know. And what we want to protect is probably the biosphere. And if you're, you know, a thousand feet down, you know, there's there are just rocks, and they're already chemically contaminated. I guess the other bit is important bit about the chemicals and contamination, like the metals. At the concentrations we are in, you know, they're toxic for the for the for, for everything living. And you know, our sites are, you know, they might have one, two percent lead. Like one of our site has two percent lead on the surface. It's not it's not healthy. We need, you know, like digging the, them up technically and like extracting, leaching out that metal and and putting back, you know, things that don't have that metal anymore is is not bad. It's kind of pretty good work uh, when you think about it with kind of our actionable work towards that is the status quo on drilling is that people dig those mud pools they drill the materials they leave all these cuttings with metals in the ground and just close them off and leave them there but it's not the material that actually came from the surface it's like the material from thousand feet down that is it has chemicals. You bring it up, you deposit it on the surface, and you leave. And you sort of close up with a bulldozer saying with some soil. And you're like, this is this is here, it's been there. That's new, that's not true. You just contaminated this this land. Like all of our waste gets collected and, and, and driven out and disposed. Like because it's a closed loop system, we, we have to collect our own waste and we don't pile it up on site, we drive it off. And I think it's a good practice. For everybody to to sort of pick up and and start being cleaner when they explore. Why is this exciting? Like, why is what you're doing super exciting? Why should people get riled, like riled up about the the ability to kind of mine things differently? And then, like, what role is this going to play in our future? It's exciting because it's exploration, and 
it's kind of treasure hunting with a purpose. And the purpose is that we enable, but we just enable the possibility of transitioning into sustainable energy, where it's not really possible right now because we don't have enough metals. And we are focusing on these electricity metals, battery metals, electronics metals. But the other aspect is exploring space and other planets. And we wouldn't be able, like when we build our process, it could be replicated on another planet. It's like we're starting from scratch and it's standardized and it's like a vertically integrated system. You take that and put it on Mars and it will work. We would need more automated equipment, but it will work the same way. I guess our dreams are, it would be really cool to explore and find more, like find the metals to build the outpost on, on Mars. That'd be really cool. Or moon, like it's still really, really cool. I think it's just, um, you know, it, it is more about the future because, you know, somebody else needs to solve the, the transport problem. But then once we have the transport sorted, you know, the first thing we want to need is to establish sources of, of building materials for that outpost on a different planet. And um, we would like to help with that. And that is really exciting. I think there's this big vision that we have about exploring other planets and that really motivates us. But even like our purpose on Earth is super huge as well. You know, the work we do you know, creates these, these building materials for the new earth that's going to be much cleaner. And I think it's, uh, it's something worthwhile to kind of devote your life to, towards. Where can people find you and how can they support you and Earth AI? You can find us by Googling Earth AI. <laughs> nice and easy. <laughs> Our website, yeah. <laughs> earth-ai.com. I guess the importance is like how they can support us is understanding or raising the awareness of that we do need the metals to build the future. And, you know, there are people that, that are focusing on this problem and uh, trying to solve it in a, in a cool way. Sweet. Because the issue is like, just to reiterate the, the key problems, we don't have the materials to, like, that, that are going to be required for us to completely transition to sustainable energy. So we need to find new deposits, new places to source from. And right now the, uh, like the way that we are currently doing it is not adequate. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. We need to find a better way, build a better way to source critical materials for building, building a sustainable future. And that is a fundamental key that will unlock that future. Without it, we can't really do it. I'm grateful for you for the work you're doing. Cause we all have to like play our part and you found something that's like critically important that most people don't think about. Thanks, Cameron. Thanks again for coming on. Excited to support you and, and Earth AI and in developing the sustainable future. Cool. Thanks, Cameron. Uh, we work hard to make sure we, we do solve this problem. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Build the Future podcast. If you're building and want to get support, want to hear about certain topics or hear from certain people, shoot us over an email to hello at buildthefuturepodcast.com. Or follow me, Cameron, on Twitter, at Cam Weesey, and we'll see what we can make happen. That's it from us. Until next time, go build.